0: Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for putting on full display your love, your faith, your life for us to see in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being the light that has come to remove our blindness and show us the Father and what he has always had in his hand, what you've always had in your hand to give us. Amen. So today is gonna be um, kind of a combination of all different things that God has woven together for me and my heart to share. But first I wanted to share something I'm really excited about. Um, A a lot of you already know about my book, Bella May. It came out a couple of years ago, but I have made some updates for those who already have the book. Um, Don't worry, the story has not changed. The only thing that has changed, and I'm excited to say, um, is, uh, I changed my name. So it's now by Annette Moore on Amazon. Um, I did update the author page. Um, I've added a couple of little things on the front and back cover. And, um, I wanted to just share briefly how, you know, God really birthed this story in my heart. Um, it came totally from him and Um, I thought at first it was for one person in particular that God um, had, that I love very much. But as I prayed about it and thought about it, and I shared the story originally with Denise Henry, she said, boy, Annette, this would really make a beautiful children's book. And so I soon realized that it was meant for all of God's children, young and old, Um, and over the last couple of years, I've really seen how this is my story. This is my story because the story starts out with Bella Mae. She's a little bird. I'll just say it briefly. She's a little bird who's fallen out of her nest and broken her wing. And she finds herself on the ground trying to build a life for herself, by herself, not knowing that she has a father to care for her life, not knowing that he has been with her the whole entire time. And so that, I see that that was me. And um, I think there's just probably been a little bit of Bellamy in all of us at one time or another, right? So the other exciting thing real quick about Bellamy that God has been bringing forth is, um, I'm in process of writing a children's devotional. And I have, that goes real well with, goes right with uh, the the book, the children's book. And um, I have a Facebook page Um, it's just called Bella May, you, you you know, it's, there's quite a few Bella May Facebook pages, um, but it's the one with the little bird, Bella May on it. And so you can follow that and like it if you'd like and, um, read the devotionals and the things that God has been putting on my heart and we'll see what um, whatever else he has in the future. I'm thinking maybe a YouTube channel for kids and reading the devotionals. We'll see. Um, but I'm excited. So the, the other real quick important thing, when you read Bella May to your children or your grandchildren or whomever, whatever child, make sure that you um, point out the daddy bird because he is in every picture even Bella May, even though Bella May doesn't know it. So it's kind of a fun thing even for kids at a young age if you just want to share the story in your own words, you know, for them to do, they can look for the daddy bird on every page. And so that's really important because they need to know that God, their father, their daddy God is with them all the time. So that's, that's it. And then I wanted to just show off my little, um, um, Bella May and her daddy bird. It's from one of the pages of my favorite page. Well, they're all my favorite pages, um, where she's on the tree with him because she got scared. And he put her on his back, and it just reminds me of Come Unto Me. Um, so my friend uh, Heather that I um, worked with, oh, years ago, 13, 14 years ago, sweet, dear friend who was a really bless- real blessing to me, she had this made for me, and she sent it to me um, last summer. So isn't it sweet? Isn't it so sweet? She did good, she did good yeah. So i put this over here. And then I have more props <laughs> that we will get to. So I felt to lead off today's message with a little bit from Palm, with, from, from Palm Sunday, actually, the Day of the Lambs. My husband, Matt, um, preached on that. He preached Greg's message and his message combined. And um, there was just so, so much revelation in that. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. So we'll start there. Right before Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem when he was riding on the donkey in Matthew 21, before the people shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna to, to the Son of David, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Right before this took place, Jesus stopped and opened the eyes of two blind men sitting by the wayside. When they heard that Jesus passed by, they cried out saying, Have mercy on us, O, o Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still. I notice something here. The word of God stood still. That's what it said, Jesus stood still. Ever notice how when a word comes from God, it can make you still? When Christ, the Logos of God, comes, it brings you to a stopping place from judging your circumstances, from whatever is going on around you or inside of you, and the word Jesus brings comfort and peace and causes you to take a deep breath, lay your hands down, rest, and be still. Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I am God. But when you know God and his word comes to you and you see him, that will still you. Jesus knew God the Father. He is the only one who did. He's the only one who, who ever saw him. Jesus the man stood still. Jesus the man and the son stood still in the knowing of the Father and the understanding of the Father's heart. You could say God stopped to hear God, to hear the let us. The point is, he stood still to hear the Father's intent and the passion of his heart for these two guys. Then he called them and said, what will ye that I shall do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them because he knew the compassion in the Father's heart for them. Of course, they are one. And touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Question, are we above Jesus that we should not stand still and hear before we speak? Have him discern our heart so it can be in line with his heart and be filled with his compassion? There is great wisdom here. Christ is the wisdom and power and life of God. There are times probably for some of us, maybe no one here, but some of us, maybe more than we care to admit, but there are times when we need our sight restored as well. No? I know I do, I still do. (laughs) Before I knew God as my Father, even before I first believed on Jesus, I didn't need my sight restored, I needed sight. (laughs) I wasn't blind physically, but I was blind to knowing who God is, who my Father is, who Jesus is, and the work of the Holy Spirit. And then later, after I'd heard about Jesus, and believed on Jesus, and gone to church, I would need my sight restored from the wrong teaching about God and deliverance from the lies that had entered into my heart. I often felt like the blind being led by the blind. And I've had enough of that. We're going to talk more about that. But I have to share this funny thing. That just So, so just kind of bear with me. Um, it's about the blind guys. So it's kind of a joke. Um, imagine, <laughs> I mean, God, you know, he has a sense of humor. Um, imagine here's these two blind guys, right? They're both blind. But they don't know the other one is blind. Because they can't see. First of all, what are two blind guys hanging out doing hanging out together, right? I mean, neither one of them can see, right? So I'm, (laughs) this is where my imagination went. I imagine one of them just sitting around, and the other one comes walking by and kind of bumps into him, and he says, oh, pardon me, I'm sorry, what are you doing sitting here? The other blind guy says, I heard of this man, Jesus. They say he's the Lord and has come to deliver us. He's the son of David, our Messiah is here. I'm sitting here trying to figure out where he is or where he's going next. And the other blind guy says, yes, I've heard of him too and I've been looking for him. Let's go find him together. The other guy says, hey, do you wanna lead the way? The other blind guy says, no, it's okay, you could lead. It's the blind leading the blind, right? It's not always a bad thing. (laughs) Back to the back to the message. (laughs) On the day of the lambs, which we know is Palm Sunday, the lamb was examined, not the person bringing the lamb. It was never the person that brought the lamb that was examined. It was the lamb. So why are some people so busy with examining others, so busy examining and judging God's children, His precious flock, instead of the perfect, spotless lamb? as the word about their life. People, even well-meaning but misdirected church people, can be so, nobody here, I know that, (laughs) and nobody online, can be so quick to judge outwardly the actions of others when they don't have a clue as to what's going on in that person's heart. God never examines us and judges us according to the fruit coming out of us, whether good or bad, God is the only one who truly knows the heart of every person. He knows what's in their heart and what is causing them pain or unbelief. He knows what's in everyone's heart perfectly. But there are some people who think they know better than God. They look at someone's behavior, situation, or actions with no discernment from God, so quick to judge and accuse and think they know what that person needs or what they need to do. They look at the speck in their brother's eye without removing the beam in their own. But the beam can be removed. But only, it can only be removed by you laying down your carnal judgments, what you think is the right thing to do, and go to God and ask him to discern your heart first to get the beam out of your eye first. Then and only then, by you knowing God's judgment about that person, which is always good, (laughs) his good, pure judgment, then he will give you discernment to help you get the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus called the ones so quick to to examine and judge outwardly, particularly the Pharisees back then, and I believe even some right now, blind guides. They're the blind leading the blind. They are the ones blinded by their own judgments, blinded by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, blinded by what they think the law says, not knowing the law of God is eternal life. They are blinded by death. And the death in this world are blinded from a sin-stained conscience, blinded from knowing the depths of God's love for themselves, blinded from seeing the depths of God's love for all humanity and His judgment of innocence and righteousness, blinded to His desire to be joined together with them in oneness and give eternal life to all humanity. The blind they are trying to lead are also those who have never heard the true gospel, right? Because the blind haven't heard either. Who have never been told of the Father and what is in his hand to give them, who have been told they must first clean up their own lives in order for God to love them, to look at them, for him to come to him as father. The one who has always loved them, always cared about them, always desired to share his life with them so that they can be persuaded by him of how much he loves them, finds them worthy, and find rest, peace, joy, the life, the life they've always longed for, the life he has in his hand to give them. So this reminded me of a story in, uh, Jesus told in Luke 18, 10 through 14. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like these other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers or even as this publican I fast twice in the week I give tithes of all I possess and the publican standing afar off would not so much as lift his eyes unto heaven but smote upon his breast saying God be merciful to me a sinner I tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Notice who walked away justified. The one who humbled himself. The one who humbled himself to believe what God's judgment is about him. The one who knew he could not produce God's life in himself by his own strength. The meek one. The one who knew God's mercy, strength, and love for him. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth." I never really understood what it meant to inherit the earth. I think I might have thought it meant getting everything I can in this world on this earth now. If, if only I could be, <laughs> right, right, that's that's what I thought. But if only I could be meek enough, but I didn't understand what being meek was either. Bake <laughs> it till you make it. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's what I did. (laughs) But that's not what Jesus meant when he said the meek shall inherit the earth. I think it means he's referring to the, I just totally lost my train of thought. Sorry about that. (laughs) So let me just read it. He's referring to (laughs) is the meek ones are the ones who are going to live with him in glorified bodies in a glorified earth, when he brings heaven down to it and they live their lives fully now in the surety and the confidence of their inheritance. And you walk in that as if it were already here because you walk differently when you know what you've got. You walk in the earth like Abraham who being persuaded by the same faith, which was from the beginning and testified of the work which God would do in Christ, and the certainty of things not yet seen, looked forward to the eternal city with foundations not built by man's hands, but a city that can never see corruption, whose builder and maker is God. That's Hebrews eleven nine through 10. Meekness as it is defined in the scriptures is when the strength and ability of God is exalted in your sight instead of the strength and ability you see in yourself and in the world. It's when a person makes nothing of their own strength and the strength in the world and makes much of the strength of God. It's when a person finds themselves no longer taking thought of their life because their mind is filled with the thought that God has taken to care for and to give them the publican was meek. The Pharisee clearly was not. So this was so me. Um, I was anything but meek. And I, I'm just going to share. I'm going to refer to um, the book a couple times. On page 19. Now I know y'all can't really see it, but Bellamy is working her life. She's 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 built a she's growing a garden for goodness sake. And she has a little sign on on the fence that says, keep out. (laughs) Just read what it says. So for many months, she continued to hop around on the ground, flapping her good wing and clinging to her broken wing, shouting, look at me. I'm just fine. I'm the one who's living right. I have everything I need. I've made my own way and my own place to live. I grow my own food and I even store it away for winter. I don't need anyone or anything, and I don't need to fly. Flying was the life she was designed for. (laughs) Bellamy was looking to the strength of her own ability to have a good life, to sustain her life, clinging to her broken wing, the hurt and the pain. Anyone ever done that, holding on to that? thinking she was all alone in the world without a father to care for her life. Clearly, May did not know the verse in Matthew six twenty-six. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns. They take no thought to their own lives or their ability. They are carefree. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth so much more than they? Does he not love you so much more than they? Of course. (laughs) The father who created the birds knows what they need. He feeds the birds with what he's provided in the earth for them. Worms, berries, seeds. He knows what we need too. He feeds us with the strength and ability of his very own life. Jesus. Jesus is our bread, our food, our living water. And that sustains us in a world filled with death and corruption, when we feel, especially when we feel the pressing in of it. Sometimes he shows us his ability and does provide the things we need as well. Um, So he showed, you know, he showed me he was my father and cared for me and what I needed in a very tangible way, and with something in the earth as it is now. But I see why he did that for me. I, I'm, I'm just gonna share a quick story back when I was in Bible college. Um, this was 13, 14 years ago. And I didn't, I didn't have a car. Um, I'd been without a car for well over a year. My car got repossessed. And then I borrowed my son's car for a while. Um, but when he came out of the Navy, he took his car back. So I had no car. I almost was homeless at that point in my life. I didn't have a job, and I didn't have my own place, and I didn't have a car for transportation, but I decided I was going to Bible College. I didn't know how I was gonna get there because it was pretty far from where I lived. Of course, I needed an apartment and a job. So I got the job, got the, got the place to live, um, started Bible College. A friend there started you know, picking me up and bringing me home. She had to pass by my place anyway, so that was provided. So I had a way to get to college. And to get to work, which was three miles, I I worked at Whole Foods, three miles, I started out walking. Um, And then I met friends, one of whom is Heather, who had the Bella and Daddy Bird knitted for me. Um, She would pick me up and drive me home, because we were on the same schedule most of the time. And I met other people who did that, or I took a cab. But the only thing I could do was go to Bible college and go to work pretty much. I couldn't go anywhere else. I couldn't go see my grandbaby. I couldn't visit my kids. I couldn't go shopping or whatever. And I had started this flower ministry where I would get all the flowers from Whole Foods um, that they were gonna throw out. And they like throw them out even if there's like a petal falling off. I mean, they were beautiful, roses and all kinds of flowers. And I I would get get all those and bring them home and go to Goodwill and buy vases and put them together and give them to my neighbors, whoever God put on my heart to give. But I wanted a car so that I could put the flowers in my car and drive around and to and give them to whoever God put on my heart, which I did wind up doing. People in toll booths, stopping at churches, all the friend, he did amazing, he brought me. He used that In amazing ways to touch people with his love. So anyway, I don't have a car, right? And I'm believing God is going to give me a car. He's, I'm living by faith. (laughs) Right? I didn't know it was his faith. Yeah, I thought it was mine. But And I'm just like really thinking, I don't have the money to buy a car. God's going to give me a car. My father's going to give me a car, right? And I had just come into the understanding that he was my father through the revelation, through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus. And so one night, I mean, I I just was like, I'd had enough. I'd said, Daddy, I need a car. I need to know that you're gonna give me a car. I just really believed in my heart. And he just kept saying, the birds, the birds, the birds. (laughs) So funny, right? It's just stayed with me my whole life. And I really didn't, remember the passage, but I looked up birds, you know, and I'm like, oh yeah, Matthew 6, 26. And I read it and I saw I'm worth much more to him. He's going to give me a car. He's going to give me a car. I knew it. I knew it. I was so sure. The next day I go to Bible college and my dear sweet friend, Betty, she says to me, Annette, she said, I'm going to tell you something. I was going to wait until August, I think it was, when my son leaves for the army to give you his car. But last night, I felt it that so strong that I'm supposed to give it to you now, right? Wow. That was my Father God. That was him giving me a car. He spoke, he made it clear to me, he made it clear to her. It was probably right around the same exact time that I got that word about the birds. And not only did he speak to her, but two other people that day told me that God had spoken to them and they were going to give me their cars. Wow. Yeah, pretty cool. I took the first one, took the first one. That car was so old, the paint was coming off, it didn't have air conditioner. The other ones were newer, come to find out later. But I took that car, I, I spoke I spoke Jesus over that car. <laughs> that car ran on Jesus. I even had brought it into a mechanic uh, months after. I was so grateful for that car. Um, and he looked at it, because there was something wrong, I can't remember what it was now, and he said, how is this car running? He goes, this, this, this should not, this is, this shouldn't even be running. And I go, it runs on Jesus. <laughs> he gave me that car. So anyway, and I share that story because to me that was like a sign and wonder that led me even into deeper intimacy with him, into deeper knowledge and understanding of my father. You know, it was something he gave me. But that's, you know, we don't, we don't concentrate on the things, those, the earthly things, but he does give us good gifts. He does. The greatest gift is his life, but he still does give us good gifts. Some, something else that we have learned about meekness is that it produces boldness. I'll tell you what, after that happened, Man, I was the first one standing up in Bible college when they had, you know, said, does anyone have a testimony? Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I had, yeah, I had great boldness produced in me after that. Telling everyone about what my father did for me. Greg taught us the definition of meekness. It's boldness to trust, trust in to have confidence, be confident, to be secure, to trust, to cause to trust, make secure to feel safe and to be careless, carefree of your own life. It's what comes out of a person should they believe they are safe. It's what comes out of a person should they understand they are free from the cares of the world and the cares that pertain to the life the world has to offer. We've learned the examples of meekness. Of course, in Jesus, he is the meek, but also the disciples. Um, David, how about the three in the fire? Um, There are many examples we can give of those who trusted in the ability and strength of God and not their own to save them. I found one such person that you might not have thought of, and that is the woman that anointed Jesus' feet in the home of the Pharisee. The Pharisee, in Luke 7, invites Jesus to his house to eat. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. I have to show something. Oh, here. She brought a jar of ointment. and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment." Talk about boldness. So I just show this because this woman poured out this ointment, this very expensive ointment and showed her love for Jesus onto him and we tend to think that we have to do these great big things in order to show our love to others or to him. But Becky this morning came in and gave me this beautiful jar of rainwater that she had collected and uh, marinated, I'll just use that word, (laughs) rose petals, (laughs) organic rose petals into it and to use as a toner and all kinds of fun stuff. And um, I just, that was her love. Her love poured out to me and I just was so touched by it. And so it's just the simple things, you know, the simple, it's the simplest things to show God's love to others. I mean, you could just be in the room with somebody and someone will be drawn to you because of the love of God inside of you, right? And then your, your, your gifts can also come out in other ways. And, and so I'm going to show you this gorgeous painting that Kelly Kiefer did. And I see it, and I see God in this. This is her love. She painted this. She's an artist. And the love of God comes out and flows out of her in her art. And so I had, I had to have this because it just it's, I see God, and I see God in her. Just her smile alone. <laughs> she walks in a room. She's so full of God. So I'm going to give you these so you can get them out of my way. Thank you, babe. Hmm. Now, when the Pharisee which, was, which had bidden him saw it, he spoke with himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him. For she is a sinner. So right away, what do you think? Prostitute? I don't know. But does it have to be? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. She could have just been a Samaritan. She just could have been someone from another nation. Right? Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say to thee. (laughs) And he said, I don't think he said it with that, you know, air of attitude, but He might have, I don't know. (laughs) And he said, Master Sayon, so he says, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one to whom he forgave the most. And he said unto him, Thou hast judged rightly. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil you did not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment wherefore I say unto thee her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much but to whom little is forgiven the same loveth little and he said unto her your sins are forgiven he separated her from all the destruction that had come upon her life through death and a conscience stained by sin and death and he set her free from what held her in bondage, and they sat at meat with those that they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, "Who is this that forgives sins also?" And he said to the woman, "Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace." It's in Luke seven thirty-seven through fifty. So here is a woman who undoubtedly had looked to her own strength and ability to produce what she thought was life for herself, her whole life. She had looked to the world and what she could find in the world to give herself peace, and she came up empty. But when she heard of Jesus, when she saw Jesus, which she undoubtedly had, before coming to the Pharisee's house, meekness was birthed in her. Faith was birthed in her. She felt safe. Now, was this Mary Magdalene? The one whom he'd called out and delivered her of seven demons? I don't know. I don't know for sure. I, don't, I think there's great debate on that. So a lot of people think so, but it doesn't matter. Maybe the calling out of the seven demons is she saw that he was the Christ, and that's what led her to go to the Pharisee's house and anoint her. I don't know. Maybe it was just a woman that had heard him and seen him and saw something about him that she knew. Hmm? Maybe she's us, (laughs) right? Maybe she's me. (laughs) Anyway, she felt safe. She didn't take into account the caring of her life or what anyone else would think of her. She saw where life was found, where strength was found, the life she really longed for and could not find in the world or produce herself, and she went to him. She became as bold as a lion. Boldness came out of her. First John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, or by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, or this is how we will love one another. This is how we come to know and perceive and comprehend and recognize and are intimate with the love of God. He laid down his life for us to give us his life the father always had to give us the woman pouring out the expensive oil from the alabaster jar washing Jesus's feet with her hair and her tears became intimate with the love of God for her she was laying down her inability to produce the life she needed in herself for his life for the life only he could give her and poured out her love on him she loved him in the only way she knew how and Jesus was moved and touched by her love For years as I pondered this story and where Jesus said, he who has been forgiven much loves much and he who has been forgiven little loves little, I've always pondered that and wondered. In my mind, I'd committed a lot of sins, a lot of sins before I came to Jesus. And I knew I was forgiven of them and I was grateful, but I found the inability in myself to love much or my idea of what that meant I was still sin conscience I was still living from a conscience stained by sin and death it didn't help that I was in a church doctrine based on sin either what do we call that the penal substitution atonement theory well there (laughs) we have it it's a theory it's not the truth the truth is the cross and the empty grave That is what speaks. Anyway, as an exuberant young Christian sharing the gospel, because that's what we're supposed to do, more like the perverted gospel, I shared it from the foundation of God the Father couldn't look at you because of your sin nature, which is nowhere in the Bible, and all the wrong things you had done. Because God the Father was angry at man and had to take it out on his son so you could come to him and how he could love you. And now he could look at you, but only through the Jesus filter. Oh, God. Forgive us all. <laughs> it's horrible, horrible, horrible. I love God. I love people, but it never felt like enough. And now I know why because death was at the root of it all. The focus was not on the fruit that came out of me and my many sins, <laughs> but death is what was conquered. My death and life was in his hands for me and always had been. I was still in that sin stained consciousness. I'd never, f- I knew he forgave me, but somehow it was still there. It's still death. I knew I was going to heaven one day, I had some understanding but not full understanding. I didn't know what God's forgiveness meant. I had no idea of what beholding the cross, the empty grave and the resurrection, the faith of the Father, the faith of the Son of God, what that was really all about. I didn't know how I could live in that faith now. I didn't know it was available to me, I didn't really know and understand my oneness. I didn't know he has always seen me and loved me. I didn't know I could experience <clears throat> excuse me the life of the Father and with me now. I didn't know I was already one with him. I would have lived my life and approached people differently. But it's a growing process with him. It's a transformation. He, was, he still wasn't holding anything against me. It is death that we have been forgiven from and the fear of death. It is death that has been sent away from us. It's death we are divorced from. That is the forgiven much. That is what I believe Jesus was saying. Though that, Those that understand the much death they have been forgiven of love much. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I'm good. <laughs> so I'm gonna share a quick story. Uh, this is Millie's story. So back when I was in this sin-stained consciousness, but still trying to share the perverted gospel um, and getting people saved because, you know, I was trying to love them and love God. God <laughs> knew I was just doing it really from love, but you know, it was still perverted gospel. Anyway, I was a caregiver And my job was to, you know, help the elderly in their homes with whatever they needed. Baths, cook food, clean the house, transport them to the doctor, take them to the store, whatever. And so my client, uh, one of my clients, her name was Millie. And she was the most bubbly, joy-filled woman I'd ever known. Always had a joke. Always had a joke. And from the first day, from the first day I walked in there. (laughs) And, um... So, (laughs) she really didn't want me to do anything. I was supposed to go there and clean her house most of the time. She didn't want that. She just wanted to sit and have coffee and talk and share about her life, her kids, her grandkids, her husband, just talk and talk about everything. And that's really what she wanted to do. So, the first day I go there, um, she, she says, um, hey, do you want some coffee? I said, sure. I'd love some coffee. I really needed some coffee. It was an early morning appointment. Um, and she says, okay. Well, she's sitting at the table like this. And I thought, oh no, <laughs> this woman seems a little scary to me. Well, if you're going to have coffee in my house, you have to drink it Navy style. And I'm like, what is that? I don't know what that is. She said, she goes. Uh, do you know what that is and I said well no I don't know what that is she says you have to drink it black like I drink it we drink it Navy style in this house and I was like well I really wanted some coffee so I'm like well okay okay that's fine so I get the coffee I pour her coffee I sit down and she just starts busting out laughing she goes I was just kidding you can have the cream and sugar back then I took both cream and sugar and I was like oh thank god you know <laughs> I, now I drink my coffee black, but back then I did not. (laughs) Anyway, Millie, you know, I had so much fun. We, we grew very close. She, she wound up, you know, I, I had her to my house. My kids got to know her. Um, we we were, we were very close and I love to hear her stories. Um, but in the back of my mind is, I don't think she said the magic prayer. I don't, she saved and I'm worried because she's old and she's you know kind of sick and I don't want her to go to hell because that's where I was coming from and so you know whenever this, you know I look for the opportunities to share Jesus she'd say well and I remember this she said well I don't think I'm a sinner I haven't done anything wrong and here's me, because I'm approaching it from that foundation, right? Well, what, I'm digging. Well, what do you mean, you, you never stole anything? Well, no, I mean, I knew I stole stuff, so that was the first thing that came out of my mouth. I says, you never even told a lie? Well, she says, well, you know, maybe a little white lie, a little fib here and there, and she's such a joker, you know, but... She says, but no, I don't feel that I'm a sinner. You know, and she I believe in God, I go to church, she Catholic, she goes, I, I believe in Jesus, why do I have to say that prayer? <laughs> well, Millie, you have to, you know, because all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, and you know, blah, 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 the wages of sin is death, and all my misunderstanding of what that all meant, <laughs> And so <laughs> she finally did cave one day and said the magic prayer with me and I was like so relieved, you know. But I could have, and I en- let me tell you, I enjoyed that relationship. I could have enjoyed it so much more had I just recognized the love of God already in her, you know, which is so apparent to me now as I look back and approached the conversation from a whole different standpoint. You know, and and talk to her about the death, that's her death that's been conquered, you know, and that she has eternal life and that she can experience that life now, you know, and I mean, it'll kind of look like she really was anyway. I might not have even had to have the conversation with her. (laughs) Yeah, I might have just rejoiced with her and her with me that we had the life of God in us. So that's just an example of the background that I wanted to share. So um, we're going to go back to the story of the woman with the alabaster jar. It reminds me of this song in Jesus Christ Superstar. Now, I do not recommend the play. I don't don't even look it up. If you've never seen it, anyone seen it here back in the day in the 70s? okay. (laughs) With all the hippies in it, it was so confusing and so twisted. But anyway. I saw that as a young girl, and it confused me, <laughs> big time. But the song, the song, I Don't Know How to Love Him, <laughs> totally, um, it stayed with me. Now forget about, those of you who have seen it, the, the perversion or anything that might be linked to what, who that was, singing and what that was all about and whatever, but, it's, it's the words, I mean, I've never forgotten the song. I loved that song. I even remember getting a guitar and, and trying to learn how to play it to that song. That one and You Light Up My Life. Those were the two songs I was trying to sing and learn on the guitar. The woman in the story The alabaster jar and this woman, and the song, the words of the song remind me of me, so that's what I want to talk about. Because in the song, she says, I don't know how to love him, I don't know how to love him, what to do, how to move him, I've been changed, yes, really changed. And she goes through this, like, inner struggle, so I'm just going to take liberty with this. She goes on to say she doesn't know how to take him or why he moves her. She's known other men before in different ways, and she tries to convince herself he's just one more, one more like them who's going to hurt her. Like I said, I'm taking liberty, you know, I'm just trying to imagine what she's going through, because this was also me. She doesn't know whether to bring him down or scream and shout and speak of love, let her feelings out. She never thought she would come to this place. She wants to know what it, what he is all about. She finds herself in a dilemma and it scares her. She even says she's frightened in the song. Why? Because all her life, She's been fashioning or working her life in such a way that it would appear she had everything under control. She even says, I'm the one who's been so calm, so cool, no lovers fool, running every show. That was me. I thought I had everything under control without God. That was Bella Mae. She's building her her little house and her life and growing her food. She didn't need nobody or nothing. That was me. Was the woman in the song, was she scared? Was she singing about was she scared that he would punish her? Or was she scared of letting go of everything she'd always known? Her way of doing life for everything he had for her. Yes, I think that's it. Because before I before I knew God, before I knew my father, my Abba, I can tell you I was scared of him because I thought what he had in his hand for me was punishments. That's what I'd learned. Even after I became a believer, I was scared because I didn't think I could measure up to all he expected from me and that there would be judgment and punishment waiting for me. Then I learned he doesn't expect anything from me except to receive everything that he has for me. That was scary, too. Because that meant the laying down of my ability to have life. All the ways I I could bring peace to myself. (laughs) The uh, laying down of everything I knew to make my life safe and secure and appear to everyone else, how calm and cool I was running every show. I'd have to come to the place where I would totally and completely trust my father you have to agree it can be kind of scary to totally entrust your life in the hands of another at first and you need lots of persuading in the transformation but he does it. I was just as I was doing reading this and thinking about some pastors maybe you know who have come into the revelation of Jesus is the tithe right and now they have to go back to their congregation and tell them God doesn't need their money and that's not what the tithe is all about, and that you're not blessed by how much you give, that could be scary. You know, there's a transformation going on. They've learned something, but it's still kind of scary to go and walk in it. It was. (laughs) I'm so glad I came to the point in my life though where I was done. I was tired, I was weary, and I came unto Jesus, fully seeing the understand- and understanding the same thing he knew about the Father and, and trusting my life into his hands. I wanted his faith, not mine. I'm not saying I walk perfectly in everything. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I saw my Father, and I saw what he had for me, and I saw what he had in his hands to give me, and I was ready. <laughs> I was laying it down my fear, that scariness, became a different kind of fear. A fear I'm not afraid of now because now I can say I have the fear of the Lord. Meaning I am in awe of Him because I see what He has in His hand to give me is His love and His life and He always had that for me and for you. That's why I can lay it down. I knew Jesus was not just one more man but I came to know And I'm so grateful for, you know, I'm grateful that I heard that song when I was young. Because I think it was a question that stayed with me my whole life that drove the desire in my heart to love him. And I think that came from God. I came to know by the hearing of faith, the gospel, the real gospel, that he was unlike any other man I'd ever known. And just like the woman with the alabaster jar would come to see, the totality, the complete work of him laying down his life for her and the life that could be found in the world, the laying down of his ability he could have enlisted before the cross or at the cross, I too would become more intimately acquainted with his love for me and the forgiveness from death I had been set apart from, divorced from in his resurrection, knowing he desired the same eternal immortal life With me forever. And this is how we love God by knowing how much He loved us first, by knowing He laid down His life for us, by letting Him serve us with His life. And see, He has set us apart from death now to be with Him forever in glorified, immortal flesh and bone, living eternally with Him on a glorified earth, our inheritance. Back to the story. Jesus loved the Pharisee in the story as well. Hopefully the question he pondered in his heart of who is this that forgives sins also led him to discover, but we do not know. What we do know is God loves the misdirected, unknowing, unbelieving, and blind guides too. He knows they have just not experienced fully or heard, nor seen the depths of his love for them, or perhaps in a certain area in their life where they're still held in bondage. He knows the areas in their hearts where there is still blindness and where they have yet to see and make themselves available to be persuaded of him through the faith of his son, the perfect spotless Lamb of God. For those who have been told you can't come to God because of all the wrong things you have done, I know that's not anyone here, but anyone may be online or may watch in the future, if that's you and you don't think that God will accept you or can't even look at you and you feel so alone like an orphan with no one to care for your life I have good news for you that is not true about how God looks at you how he sees you and knows you nor is he expecting you to clean yourself up he's not looking at you through a Jesus filter that came from a corrupt theology that separates the Father from the Son. Don't believe that. That same thing I was talking about earlier. So what does God, our good Father, see when he looks at you, when he looks at all of us? How did he see us long before Jesus even came to earth, before you first believed? The same way he always has, because God never changes. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. That was one of the first scriptures that I learned. I don't want to cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. For God so loved the world, so loved you, that he gave his only begotten son, That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world or us, but that the world would be saved through him. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself on the cross, not imputing our trespasses against us or anyone else. In Genesis, we see God created everything. The, that word for God is Elohim, meaning Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're together. They created everything. John chapter 1 tells us the word which is Jesus, the Christ, the wisdom and power of God was in the beginning with God, was God. Everything that has been created has been created by him and he himself is God. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was The same that was in the beginning with God, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the the darkness comprehends it not, sometimes. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, not by God. But they condemn themselves by their own unbelief and unwillingness to receive what God has for them. And God, that saddens God, that he grieves over that. He wants them to have what he has for them. Because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. How do you do the truth? You hear it. This is how you do it. It's easy. You hear it. You let God persuade you of it. You let him serve you. You believe it. You receive it. You're born from it. You walk in it. You live in it. That's how you do the truth. The blind man came into the light, the woman came unto the light, the publican came unto the light. Don't be left in the dark. The light, Jesus has come and shined upon you and is your light in life. In Isaiah 9, we read, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, our Everlasting Father. Jesus is that light to show you, our Everlasting Father. He's also the Everlasting Father, too. But that can be something that makes your head tilt. (laughs) But it's true. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation. I love that. And good hope through grace comforts your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. See, that, that's from Second Thessalonians 2, 16 through 17. Nothing has changed since God got down on his knee in adoration of Adam and Eve and blessed them in the garden. We are his children. We come from him. He has blessed us. He adores us as any good father would. God's judgment of us is his righteousness. His commandment for us is eternal life. He has judged sin and death to be far removed from you. You have been divorced from it. That is what the word forgive means and why Jesus could heal the sick and the blind by saying your sins have been forgiven. God has judged you worthy of an immortal, eternal life with him, the very same life Jesus has with him. He adores you. He already calls you righteous, holy, the apple of his eye. He loves you and has loved you with an everlasting love from eternity to eternity. From the very beginning, before you were even born, he knew you and he loved you. You are his treasure in the field. You are the pearl of great price. That's what he sees when he looks at you. He sees his beloved child whom he adores, who he thinks is precious in every way. He loved you first. He's never stopped loving you. He has always known you, been caring for your life. He has always been with you, has never left you, and promises he never will. He cares about every detail of your life, even knows the number of hairs on your head and how many you've lost and where they are. Right? So Jesus said, and when he told us about the sparrows, not one of them falls to the ground without your father knowing it. He went on to say, even the hairs on your head are numbered by him. So come on, if he seems to know such seemingly insignificant details about us, he knows everything and he cares about everything. How much more of value and worth so precious to him and dear to his heart are we to him than the sparrows? I spent the majority of my life from a young age making wrong judgments about myself, God, and others. Believing the accusations of the devil that I was alone and left to care for my own life. From a young age. We won't get into all that, but I felt like a little sparrow knocked to the ground. Just, just like Bella Mae, that's how it starts. She's knocked to the ground. I thought I had to protect, build, and preserve my own life. I didn't think God knew me or saw me. I didn't believe he was there at all, let alone with me, caring about every detail. But I've learned he did, and he does. (laughs) God knows what has harmed us and hindered us in knowing him and receiving his love, his truth, his grace, and his abundance of life in every area of our lives. That is the fruit of his life and immortality. He knows it is the death in the world when they ate from the wrong tree. He knows the root and has come as your perfect spotless lamb to destroy that. He came to destroy death. He took an ax to the tree. He came to provide himself as the lamb and destroy our sin and death, the blindness of knowing him as our good father, as our Abba, so we could run to him. He came to destroy the unbelief in your heart, of his goodness, acceptance and love for you, to set you at liberty from the death and condemnation that was coming against you. The lambs being inspected on the Day of the Lambs were for the upcoming Passover, Passover feast to remember the death that passed over them in Egypt. It was a picture for them to behold and look forward to something. It was a temporary carnal ordinance God gave them that was supposed to bring back to their remembrance the strength of God to deliver them from death and point to the lamb God would provide. In the same way, that's what we do. We look to our lamb, the lamb of God, our Jesus, and see that death has passed over us. (coughs) Jesus did not desire sacrifices and offerings. Jesus knew the Father didn't desire sacrifices and offerings. But a body, his body, his body was given for us. In Hebrews ten six and 7, it says, in burnt offering and sacrifice of bulls and goats for their death, you had no pleasure, because those offerings could never satisfy your desire to be with them and stand face to face with them in your love forever. This is the faith translation. Then I said, Behold, I am in the book, in the volume, in the midst of the scroll. It is written of me. I am manifest in the flesh to fulfill your will, O God, to provide myself the Lamb. For those who have done the examining and the judging of others, I understand. I was there once, too. And just like there was no condemnation for me from God, there's none for you. And I'm not calling anyone a Pharisee or a blind guide. There may just be something in the way that is blinding you. Perhaps a wrong belief in your heart. Perhaps a wrong doctrine, a wrong theology that's keeping you from seeing the truth about how God sees you. How God sees everyone. And His good judgment and opinion. We have been created to live by God's design, to live from our hearts. Ultimately, to live by what's in His heart. But not everything that's in our hearts or comes out of our hearts is from God. That is why we really need discernment from Him. We need Him to rightly divide the truth for us. Sometimes we see as if we're in a fog and our judgment is clouded and we need the fog to be lifted. And the only way it will be lifted is by Him, by Him persuading our hearts as we go to Him. As we sit at the feet of Jesus and keep hearing what was in His heart and the Father's heart, they are one. Maybe go back and listen to this message. Above all, keep hearing the gospel of Christ, keep hearing about the faith of the Son of God, Christ crucified, and the resurrection and ask God to restore your sight, to give you eyes to see your life and everyone else's life in that. In his light, he will persuade your heart. For those who have felt examined, judged, and accused wrongly, I hope you walk forward knowing you have never been by God. I pray you understand and hold no harm against those who you feel have wrongly judged you. And you see that they are in need of their eyes, eyesight being restored as well. And trust God to do that. I pray you would know the love of God for you and the, la- uh, and the Lamb. I pray you know the Father and the Son, the one given for you so that you would know your death has passed over you, that you would know that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, Nor any other creature shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Keep hearing the gospel of Christ. Keep hearing about the faith of the Son of God. Where where can you hear that? Right here. Every week. (laughs) And you can talk to God on your own about it too. Ask God to restore your sight, give you eyes to see your life and everyone else's life in that. In his light, he will persuade your heart and make it clear. For all of us, and we're at the end here. For all of us, I pray, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 from the Faith Translation. Thank you, John Fazio. For this reason, I bend my knees to pray to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom every family in heaven and earth is surnamed, asking that he would give to you according to the exceeding riches of his glory and good opinion of you, to be strengthened with his glorious power by his spirit in the inner man, so that the spirit and wisdom of Christ may be settled in you dwelling permanently in your hearts by faith, ever persuading you of his life and union to you, so that being firmly planted, rooted, and established in his love, that you would be able to fully comprehend and lay hold of, along with all the saints, what is the magnitude of, the width, and the length, and the depth, and the height of his love for you, and to know and fellowship with the love of Christ, which intimacy surpasses all knowledge, so that you might be filled and complete with all the fullness of God himself. And unto him, who is able and desires to do far beyond exceeding all that our hearts ever hope for, super abundantly above all that we could ask or think or imagine through his power and might alone, which he works in us, To him and from him all the glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages to come and for all eternity in the new heaven and the new earth, a world that has no end. Amen. 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 Amen.